Welcome back in, everybody, to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have two incredibly fabulous guests joining us today. We have the CEO and Artistic Director of Third Wing Limited, Cameron Darwin-Bossert, and the composer at Third Wing Limited, Deba Montazari, joining us to talk about their theater company, we are very excited to have them because we connected with this company on Instagram. We looked into them. They just had a huge hit play at the Wild Project television. So with that, Cameron, Deba, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on and for connecting with us over the, for letting me slide into your DMs. Yes. Oh my gosh. I just realized someone slid into my DMs. Now I'm hip. I'm I'm with the youths. Didn't even realize. <laughs> Don't get old kids. It's terrible. No, I'm very excited to have you both here. As I was mentioning before we started, I love your company, the way it's set up, that you have a lot of artists essentially working with the business end as well which is something you don't normally see. Usually those two worlds are kept separate. So it's very nice to see the people who are also like creating the art, running the business too. You have the know-how on both ends. But I digress. Could you, Cameron, since you are the CEO and artistic director, could you tell us a little more about Third Wing Limited? Well, I was more of a filmmaker when I was a kid, but I loved theater also. But I was bad at writing screenplays. So I looked at all the... TV theater growing up, a lot of it in England, a lot of it from the 50s in America. And I realized there's this whole middle kind of aesthetic of TV and theater that maybe I could do on purpose because they would always adapt plays for TV. Some people actually like Patty Chayefsky would write television plays on purpose. And I just loved that. So I thought, well, Maybe I can do both together at the same time, but not just the screen stuff, but also tie it to making it cheaper and easier and more fun to bring people out in person to see stuff on stage. So I've just been trying to figure out the best way to make a hybrid version of the two things that I love so much. I love that. So where did you initially get the idea to start this company? Well, I knew I wanted to do both things, do plays and films that were like plays. And I think it was about four years ago that I realized that maybe I could do a business model. You know, funnily enough, actually, my dad had a copy of, I don't know why, but he had a copy of the Netflix culture deck just lying around and I read some chapters of this Netflix culture deck and they were talking about running a company but not just the business part of it but the culture obviously from the title part of it and how they thought about entertainment and I realized that I could sort of apply that way of thinking to what I was doing and if I sat down for a couple of days I could map out a way to bring what I was thinking artistically to audiences. Cause you gotta sell tickets to stuff or you gotta sell a streaming subscription, you know, to people. So I was like, how can I, 
how can I make this really elegant? How can I do both at the same time? So I'm not just asking people to like buy tickets to every single thing that I do. How can I make like a large company, not a large company, but like a company that is large enough to encompass both things at the same time and make that elegant for the people buying into it. So it's not just like, oh, he's doing something again randomly. So I sort of like read some of those chapters of the Netflix book. And then I came up with the solving. If you're trying to make a business, you apparently you're supposed to solve problems, right? Whether they're important problems or not, I don't know. But when I looked at the theater world and I said, if I'm trying to start a business that has to do with theater, I have to look at problem solving. And I asked myself, why don't people go to theater that much? And there's like three barriers to entry, if you want to call it that. It's it's expensive. It's hard to plan for. You got to think about it long term in advance and also like risk aversion. People don't know what's going to be good necessarily. And they have to you know get babysitters and stuff. And there's a travel involved. So I was like, what if I could make a company where... I made it, I have to start out by doing enough actual good things so people would trust that what I'm doing is going to be good. But once I've done that, the structure of the business should be such that it's really cheap for people to stay involved in what we're doing. It's really easy to plan because you can keep seeing very easily what's coming down the pike because you got the streaming stuff that's related to it. And then the risk aversion, well, that's you know, hope we're we're still in the process of building a track record where our shows are are good, or at least enough people like them. So that's. I don't know if I've gone off track, but I think I've answered some some of your questions. I don't know. Ballpark, ballpark, yeah, ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> that what you asked? Did you ask me what my favorite color was? Did I win? <laughs> you brought us all around back. It's all good. Okay. You. All right. Right. <laughs> Well, Diba, I want to bring you back in now, and I because you're the composer here with Third Wing Limited. How did you get involved with this company? I had actually seen a couple of Third Wing productions back in 2021. I think I saw the first one, which was The Disciple, which was like incredible. And I came and I remember in that year, I think I saw maybe two productions and then the following year. And I remember like talking to Cam after the show and being like, these are like really incredible and hearing about the next plan for the next one. And last summer, Cam was talking to me about Burbank, which was the one that was that ran last year about Walt Disney. And and it was it, it sounded incredible. And I was like, Cam, do you need a composer? And at the time, Cam hadn't, Cam is a brilliant composer himself, but there wasn't like an external composer working on the productions. And I was like, I just have some ideas and I feel like this could be really cool to work on. So I guess I kind of forced my way in and have just been ever here ever since. <laughs> and it was really great. It was so fun to score. I really explored 1940s music and wrote some themes for some characters that are very dear to my heart now. I really love them. And and then, you know, worked on this most recent one, television, and it was like 1950s, which was also so fun to explore. Very different. I got to write like a, a theme song for like a talk show host. And so now Cam and I are like constantly talking about music and different ideas and stuff and working on future projects as well. So that's kind of how I got my start. Well, you you've got you've had two great hits, Burbank Television. There's a lot 
it feels like picking up for Third Wing Limited. What are you most excited for in the future? And I'll start with you, Cameron, on this. We had a whole slate ready to go March of 2020. Ha ha. So <laughs> this whole time, it's been a process of building up a slate of projects. So we've always got all these things in the pipeline. And it's kind of gratifying to look in the rear view mirror and out the windshield at the same time. This is like the first time I've been sort of in this position as a creative person is to be like, I did all the things that I said I was going to do in my last Kickstarter. We did the UN project, which was streaming and on stage. We've done two plays about the Disney studio in the 30s and 40s. We've done television. Rachel Carey did the Female Genius, which was our first streaming show. And then one of the episodes from that got expanded to The Disciple, which was our first onstage show. So it's nice to look back because it gives me hope for all the stuff I'm about to say. I'm like, I know, I swear, I'm going to do it. We've got coming up Doctors versus Lawyers because I'm trying to lean into the streaming element a little bit more now that we've cut our teeth in the New York theater landscape because I needed to learn a lot about producing and rehearsing and renting space and all that stuff. I didn't know anything about it. I've come more from the film world. So in the last two years, I've learned so much about live theater that I now I'm, I want to go and pair it with streaming. So Doctors versus Lawyers is more like a soap opera online that has stage plays attached to it, where you see the office politics, you see the insurance stuff behind the scenes and the backstabbing and all that online, you get immersed in the world sort of like one does in a TV show. And then we have stage plays where you're stuck in a room with these lawyers and these doctors in depositions and uh, court court cases, you know, the tri trials and everything. So I'm trying to match the story to the format that it's in. So, you know, because trials are kind of like theater. People go to, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch all these, you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, you get popcorn and you watch that. So trying to do something that's fun to watch like that, but using the TV tropes that everybody loves and say, well, what, how do we do that with, with the theater, with theatrical bent, you know, longer scenes, more characters sort of strutting their stuff and more dialogue and sort of letting, letting them, the moral questions hang in the air for longer than the sort of like quick cutty handheld doctor and lawyer TV shows that you see, which are great, but it's a different, different, I want to see what, what we can make theatrical about it. That's, that's the very next thing. And then Vermont is a stage play by Rachel Carey about a, a couple, a married couple who's trying to see if they can save their marriage by joining a commune in 1972, surrounded by free love. So yeah, no, that goes, that goes perfectly well. She's so funny. She's such a great writer. I asked her to write the very first things for Third Wing because I needed to be that sure that they'd be well-written. She's the best writer I know. So I was like, hey, Rachel, do you have anything on your hard drive that could be short form, this sort of hybrid filmed theater thing? And she's like, yeah. And she had all these plays about authors who happen to be women throughout history behaving badly. I'm like, this is this is perfect. So she's coming back July. I think it's going to be July 
in, at Wild Projects. So I'm excited for that. Those are the two things that are mainly coming up. And then we've got a whole bunch of other stuff, but it's just <laughs> going to be just listing things forever. But yeah. Diva, what about you? What are you most excited about for the future? I really, I, I love the process of getting to explore new eras that Third Wing explores in itself. I've done the 1940s and the 50s, and I had, Cam knows I love 70s music. So I was like, Cam, give me a 1970s play please so i can get into it let's <laughs> let's explore we're skipping the 1960s but we'll get back to it <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just like, really looking forward to like collaborating and, and seeing and yeah i'm working on some projects outside of third wing that you know cam and i have mutual friends and some of them were involved in third wing previously so it's it's nice to see how things branch out as well so that'll be fun now i know that with each show this next question's answers vary, but I want to ask regarding Third Wing Limited, the company itself, who do you hope have access in general to Third Wing Limited and its productions? And Diva, I'm going to start with you on that. I would say that there is, there was like a whole world of theater that I actually was not, my, my main background is actually in film. So I kind of came into theater a little bit green and, I just loved being accepted and, and also the transition between streaming and and plays, the way that Third Wing does it, I think is, first of all, a very smooth transition and also is a great way to incorporate so many talented pieces of the puzzle to come together and work work on it. So I'm, I just think that people who are looking to explore really unique writers and, yeah, off off Broadway is like you find so many gems in it. So I, I even remember having some like playwright friends who were looking for inspiration coming to see Burbank and, you know, not only seeing themselves in the writing, but also just being so inspired to go beyond it. So I'm like really getting exposed to art in any way you can on any platform. I'm bringing my whole crew to see all the Third Wing productions. So. For me, it's everyone, yeah. Cameron, what about you? You're the artistic director, you're the CEO. Who do you hope have access to Third Wing Limited Productions? That is a fantastic question for us, I think in particular, because from the beginning, I'm trying to think, how can I make this easy to pay for? How can I make it cheap? How can I keep it that way forever? And that's why I'm doing the streaming model. And so that you don't have to buy tickets you get like a streaming pass. We have these cards now. If you're a yearly member for 50 bucks, then you can just show this at the door and you just go in and see it. And it's also like flexible reservations. So you can change and cancel and it's $4.99 a month or it's 50 bucks a year and you get to watch stuff immediately. So it pulls you into the world. And all that is just to say that the whole design of it is for as many people as possible. And as far as like the, the subject matter, you know, it's a lot of 20th century stuff, but the topics, what I like to do is figure out what hasn't changed about human nature and then shove that into the past so that people can recognize themselves in past situations. And so I would hope it would be interesting to most people. And so, yeah, basically keeping it, super accessible and super easy so it's like not confusing 
to wait for the next show and I don't know, you know, it's just, but that's my job. This is how the sausage is getting me. Like I really am focused on making it accessible and clear what we're doing. So sometimes behind the scenes that takes a lot of effort <laughs> figuring out and finding different words. Well, I want to change things up on the second part and let our listeners get a chance to know the two of you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking you two, what composers, playwrights, shows inspire you or some of your favorites? And Cameron, if I can start with you, please, I'd love that. Yeah, I, Carol Churchill's Top Girls, right? Great play. I'm sure you've seen multiple productions of that. The only one that I've seen is the 1990s BBC filmed version because in England, they've got this playwright thing because they're the land of Shakespeare. So they've had more of a tradition of making sure that people in their living rooms could see important plays, either old ones or ones of the moment. And that one was of the moment. So on YouTube, I see this thing, Carol Churchill's Top Girls. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to see that play but I don't have the money to go see the latest one in New York City, that's for sure. But I watch it and, oh my, holy guacamole, or whatever I'm allowed to say on this show. The writing, that was my introduction to her writing style and the themes. And I watched that thing 10 times at least. And I was hugely inspired by the fact that it was a play, but it was a movie and it was a sitcom, but it wasn't funny but it was witty and I was just obsessed with it. And I just wanted to do that, but on purpose, I wanted to devise filmed stuff that was like that. And so that's, that's the one, that's the major touchstone for me on that front. And of course, all the mid-century stuff, Patty Chayefsky's plays for television were really influential, but really this, this top girls thing. Oh yeah. That's the thing that, People are talking about liminal space now, right? With stuff on on YouTube and like vaporwave. You know what vaporwave is? It's like a whole kind of music. And they, okay, maybe liminal space is like a aesthetic term that people are using since 2017, apparently. And I realize that that's where a lot of these filmed plays fit artistically, aesthetically, in this liminal space, like between a play and a movie. And I don't know why that's fascinating, but it, it is to me. So I built a whole company on like that liminal feeling I got watching Carol Churchill's Top Girls. And that's, yeah, I'm obsessed enough with that that I think that probably covers the gamut. <laughs> that's really cool. I love that one one show, one experience sparked all of this. This is amazing. Yeah. Diva, what about you? What inspires you? Well... More on the musical side. I mean, Cam and I talk a lot about John Williams, obviously, as we do. Just referencing his music all the time, just taking little pieces and just dissecting it. I grew up with a classical background in, in music, so, you know, 
grew up with Shostakovich and Chopin and Rachmaninoff and all the classics that, that I think really shaped who I am now. And I think it, it's influenced so much of the music that I've made, even more so than I even realized, even just subconsciously. But in terms of, you know, composers and stuff, you know, for film especially, I think Johnny Greenwood is incredibly talented and I uh, was reading a lot about how he takes a lot of influences from Stravinsky and makes very modern sounding scores and that kind of stuff. So th that really interests me. People who take, you know, classics and kind of reshape them and and that's something I would like to do. I mean, I know everyone knows Hans creates Hans Zimmer creates new instruments for every score that he does, which is like so badass. I think it, in that in the same realm, I really enjoy the sense of play that comes with it. So I really am drawn to composers who kind of take the rules, thank them, and kind of let them go and realize that like it's your it's your playground and you can explore with it. So yeah, just composers who are willing to take risks and get out there and yeah that is so cool well have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners i saw the last thing i saw was leopold shot because that was in december and then i got real sick i was supposed to see i was supposed to see death of a salesman with wendell pierce but i couldn't and so and then since 2023 started i've just been working on all these things and so I haven't seen anything. I'm going to see some stuff on Wednesday, a showcase of some people's work that I'm really excited about because it's been a long time since I've seen actors in person besides television, of course, but like see stuff that's going to surprise me, you know. But I, I love Leopold Stott. I love Tom Stoppard, actually. The last thing I saw before that was when they did Arcadia. I visited my cousin in London and I look down and I see somebody with a moleskin taking notes furiously in the one of the boxes and I look and I'm like he's got long hair he looks like he's you know older than 60 and he looks pretty obsessed with what's going on on stage and then an intermission it's that's Tom Stoppard taking notes trying to improve Arcadia again you know so I don't know yeah so I just love catching up with what he's doing he's fantastic and so Leopold Stott was was great that's amazing uh, Diba any any shows for you the most recent production that I saw was actually a, a Doll's House. So, shout out to Broadway as a whole. <laughs> Wild Project's first self-produced show, Fuck 7th Grade, was fantastic. And I'm glad to see that's coming back, I think, in November. That got, that's the one that, maybe you were talking about that earlier. It got extended and extended. That was so much fun. It was, yeah. it was really... It was a concert with a story and it had a softness to it, but it was also like rock and roll. I, yeah, I loved it. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Diba, I would like to start with you first on this. Working in the theater, I mean, is, is so different from film. I mean, with film, I'm usually working with like a finished product and, you know, a picture lock. And, and then in theater, I'm just kind of coming in and, you know, I was like, watching rehearsals, reading plays, reading the script and kind of making music cues and stuff. I kind of like that there, there was a sense of stability and being comfortable in film of like once you create the music to, you know, the scene, it's locked. You know, the actors are not changing it. 
there's, it's kind of predictable from there on. But I was so intrigued. It's something that I didn't even know that I would find so fun in theater was observing how the actors end up playing with the music a little bit in, in terms of, you know, small choices they make every night, different changes. It was just something that I was like, oh, I see the thrill. I see the excitement and the liveliness of it all. So in, in that sense, like it was, it really drew me to it. And that, now I love seeing them make choices that I didn't think of or kind of playing around with it. It, it feels much more like a playground that you know we all are all kind of knowing the rules a little bit and then taking that space and just going with it you know and you don't know sometimes it's it's works and sometimes it it could go better in another direction but i liked the unpredictability of it of it all yeah i love that cameron what about you well yeah just to go off of that the, the melding of the minds and the crafts of everybody and talking about well, starting to play Diva's music back in rehearsal and then seeing actors go, oh, that's sick, <laughs> like, and getting really excited about it and then letting Diva know, yeah, everybody really, really loves it. And also when we were doing a monologue in Burbank and playing your music that you'd sort of intuited and you, you knew that we needed this kind of character to it. And then finding points that I was gonna sort of work with where some of the beats were landing before I talked about say, oh yeah, we're making Fantasia. That's the next movie that we've got on the slate. And then there was this point in the music that really helped that. And so I was like, oh, well, making sure a little bit, navigating the monologue a little bit with my ear to the music and then that hopefully will land differently and kind of more magically with the audience. And that's kind of what that was about is this guy, you know, Walt Disney is like a guy who's like spinning fairy tales all the time. And, you know, so working with, with Diva and then also Yolanda, our costume designer. I remember the first rehearsal for television, you guys were both there. And I'm talking to Yolanda about what color the couch is supposed to be, because I got great advice from this production designer on the 1950s. And I'm like, okay, so, and we think we might have blue light going on the couch because that's gonna represent the TV light. So whatever color shirt he should be wearing that doesn't clash with the couch, but invites the blue, the blue light, but isn't redundant to it, and we both have these like serious expressions on our faces because we're trying really hard to figure out the best course of action. And I just had to pause and be like, okay, okay, wait. Uh, just want to make sure that we all know that these are like fantastic problems to have. And we're all having a lot of, like, if you took a picture of us right now, it would look like we were, you know, curing cancer, but we're not like, we're, we're lucky that time. this is our issues that to problem yeah. solve. Yeah, yeah. Like if they took a picture of me and Yolanda, like looking at the script, they'd be like, we at Merck care about like finding cures. To, I'm like, but we're talking about what color the light's going to be on his shirt based on like the, the yellowness of the couch. And like, and yes, we want to, we want to do a really good job. We want to put on a great show for the audience with the resources that we have. And when you don't have a lot of resources, you do have to like think and you have to share a little bit of the burden of the aesthetical problems with as many people as possible. So they can be like, well, I don't know if the couch is green. Isn't that going to be blah, blah, blah. 
isn't that going to be horrible? And then you go, yeah, maybe, maybe we could do different things. So sharing, so when you're sharing those, like you have to be focused and you have to be attentive, but then you also have to step back and be like, I should not have resting bitch face just because I'm being attentive to this stuff. I should realize that this is actually a lot of fun. So yeah. And, and then the other thing is definitely figuring out what's different about every single actor that you're working with. That used to really intimidate me going into a room with all these different personalities, all these different schools of thought, all these different trainings. In the la in television, we had somebody from the actor's studio who's the latest lifetime member of the actor's studio and somebody from the Royal Shakespeare Company. It's just like, like, oh my God, these people's degrees or whatever you want to call it are amazing. And these two actors are working together from these completely different schools of thought but not that too different. I mean, that's what people say, but it's not really. But I'm I'm less intimidated by having to figure out how everybody wants to be directed or how they want to work than I am excited and curious to figure it out. Because it's not, nobody's going to, nobody's going to kill each other. Like, oh, you didn't direct me the way I want to be directed. I'm going to throw you out the window. That's not going to happen. You know, we'll have little disagreements and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's far more fascinating to me each time that I get into a room with all sorts of different personalities and ways of thinking. So I love those, those two things. Cast and crew, <laughs> my favorite part. Well, we have now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Yeah, no, I saw, I saw that. Maybe, well, the Tom Stoppard thing in Arcadia, I... Obviously, I bring that up because I remember it, but I was pretty privileged and lucky as a kid growing up in New York to see a lot of theater. I remember seeing Tommy's The Who on Broadway. That kind of blew my mind. I'd already seen Phantom and all that stuff, and you know, I knew it wasn't like I'd seen a Broadway show. I'd seen the real expensive, glitzy, glamorous stuff, but that somehow sticks in my mind as like a meaningful theater experience from my childhood, I guess. It's a very nostalgic thing to think of. If I heard that soundtrack, I would get way more nostalgic than any other show for whatever reason. <laughs> I love it. So that's one of my favorites. Bam. We used to go to the Brooklyn Academy of Music. I saw Peter and the Wolf. They did like they did a robot dog back in the nineties. Like it was really cool. I don't know. I was about six. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have been six or seven. And Prokofiev. I'm sure Diva, you love Prokofiev, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. So, yeah, his music and it was like designed for kids, but then they had this kind of spooky robot dog that was really awesome. So, those are two. <laughs> his favorite theater memory, spooky <laughs> robot dog. Spooky robot dog, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love, <laughs> I love those two memories. I love them a lot. Well, Diva, I'm what sure is I'm your sure. favorite theater memory? Um, I I remember watching Twelve Angry Men in London. I lived in London for five years a while ago, and it was like incredible. It was kind of my first exposure, and it was like one of the most intimate things I had ever seen. And it was so raw and so you know, you could hear a pin drop in it. It was just so beautiful. And so I really loved it. And when I lived in London, it was a lot more theater than, you know, leaving London and I was more exposed to film and started working in film. But in in London, you know, like the West End, I remember the first time being a kid watching, 
you know, Phantom of the Opera, yeah, and, and Lion King, and just being, like, so blown away. I actually auditioned when I was a little kid in England for a part in The Lion King. <laughs> and they were like, no, not at all. I was like, that's okay. You guys are amazing. This is all worth it. <laughs> it was so fun. But more recently, there was something that happened on a run in television that I actually, I would say is like one of my more recent memories. Cam's gonna remember this. There, it was like a hot day and there was this huge fly running around the stage. There were just, the, and the stage lights were hot and it kept attracting it and it was so loud. And it, there was like no way to not notice it. And we, everyone was like, we just needed some comedic relief. And one of the actors, Mary, she just is like so quick-witted and she just made like an improv. And, and I, she said a line, you know, she's like a 1950s housewife and she goes, Arnold, I told you to take care of this fly. My God. And they have like a, like a three second riff on the fly. And it was just, it was like the perfect relief that the audience needed. And I looked- On the fly. You, you get it? Get it? On the fly. <laughs> Sorry. And actually, I, I needed that. <laughs> These are the jokes. These are the jokes. <laughs> she, just, she, chose, she decided what she was going to say. She planted her feet. And she said it as if it was in the script. It wasn't like a little bit of a half in, half out aside. Like, I got to say something. She made a moment. And then Dickren, her, her scene partner, her husband in the show, hit her right back. But he didn't, he didn't like steal the thunder. He just sort of like was very specific with how he looked at her after it. And the audience just like tore into laughter. And I was like clapping because I, lo I love that. I love when people are unpredictable. Even it though it was doing like really beautiful and for some reason it resolved the problem the fly like disappeared right the fly just wanted it's yeah it took a, it took a bad i think it took a bow at the end but yeah it's the rest of the show there. yeah i got it on camera so uh, <laughs> but it was it was just like so it was like oh this is like the live aspect of theater that is so fun that you get that it it's like rare but it's like worth its weight in gold it was yeah yeah. The I audience is really, really great that night. So it's like that back and forth, which is really awesome. I love those. Thank you so much for sharing those memories. Those were awesome. We love a good scary dog and narcissistic fly. There you go. <laughs> I'm be like having dreams about that. What have you brought out? <laughs> well, do either of you have any other projects or productions coming down the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? Well, just the ones that I uh, talked about already for me. You know, just go to thirdwing.info. <laughs> and then our streaming platform is thirdwing.watch. But that's stuff that we've all already done. The stuff that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. There's, well, I, uh, Bre Brex doing something about Brexit. We're doing something about affinity spaces in bars in New York City. We're doing something about commune on Vermont. We're doing something about doctors and lawyers. We're doing another show about the effect of American media on families, but it's in a different decade than we've done before. And I won't say which one. The that's 60s. all I can think of. <laughs> huh? I said the, the 60s. 60s. <laughs> yeah, Mad Men, Maisel, Mrs. Maisel, they've covered that, I think. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll do something. Diva, you said you had some projects that you were working on? 
Yeah, so there I was introduced to Nicole and Sari Cox through Cam and through Third Wing and we're working on a production. She's an incredible writer, actor, director. And we're working on a production called She Her that's going to be with women from Iran and that's going to be a production that I'm scoring in the you know, in fall time, so starting October, and it's going to be running at La Mama in, in December. And yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about Third Wing Limited or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Cameron at thirdwing.info and thirdwing.info being the site that I like to update as often as I can to continue making things clear and keeping people updated on what we're doing and yeah diba.montezeri at gmail.com if you need to get a hold of me i'm also on instagram you know with promoting all the third wing stuff that we all do and yeah slide into our dms yeah that's slide that's into our dms how gen z of us I love it. Yeah, I, my Spotify is Diba Montezeri. And actually the only music I have on there right now is from my Third Wing production. I am so proud of that. You have so many listeners, rightfully. You have <laughs> people listening to this amazing music. So yes, definitely do yourself a favor and check out Diba's work. But I am beyond proud that all of the album artwork is from our shows. <laughs> so, yeah, hi. it is. Yeah, yeah, very fun. Yeah. I know you'll branch out soon, but yeah, right now I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in-house resident composer yeah. proudly <laughs> well Cameron Diba thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about this amazing company thank and you. all the amazing work that you have done and you've got coming up I really appreciate it I'm excited to get to a third wing limited production soon and I hope to get to see both of you there so thank you so much for joining us it was so Thanks. great talking to you. Thank you so much. And yeah, can't wait to see you at a show, whether it's one of ours or run into you at some theater that we have to see because I haven't seen anything in a while. Yeah, really great to meet you, man. Yeah, absolutely. This is so fun. Thank you for having us. My guests today have been the artistic director and CEO Cameron Darwin Bossert and composer Diva Montezeri, both with Third Wing Limited. This theater company just finished a successful production of a show called Television, and they've got some more shows in the pipeline coming up, which you can find out about by visiting thirdwing.info. We've also got some other contact information and website information for you that we'll be posting in our episode description, as well as on our social media. But in the meantime, stay tuned for the upcoming releases of shows and streaming options coming from Third Wing Limited. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. Okay.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.